Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Good morning. It's December 3rd, and isn't it amazing what a blue sky can do for your for your spirits? Sun and blue sky and still some beautiful white snow. Anyway, it's a beautiful day. Yes, it's winter, so it's sort of cold, but it's a it's a beautiful day. And uh I'm looking forward to spending a little of it with with you. Um but where to start, huh? Uh I really don't know where to start. I'm looking around desperately to see if anything I've sort of considered talking about uh fits into sunny skies and beautiful blue. Uh yeah. Isn't that awful? Reality intrudes. Damn. Well, reality intrudes. Oh, here's something. And let me start with this, which, of course, suggests that it's downhill from here, unless any of you have have something positive. You'll recall uh, that I went berserk uh, when I learned that the Allegheny County Jail had pretty much shut its meager library off to the inmates there and understand that most of the people there have not been convicted of a crime yet. Understand that in jails all over this country, the vast majority of people incarcerated in these virus-laden hell holes have not been convicted of a crime. They are awaiting trial. And because they don't have money, they could not afford bail. Now, granted, even rich people sometimes have to stay in jail before conviction, if their crimes are egregious enough. But generally speaking, people who have some means do not end up sitting in jail for weeks, months, or more when they may in fact be innocent because there has been no trial. So start with that. You have this facility in which people are stuck And because of the virus, they are stuck essentially in solitary. 23 of 24 hours, they are in their cell. And then some brilliant person, I'm going to credit the warden, I don't know who else, says, okay, uh, for security's sake, we are not going to allow uh, books to uh, to come in to the facility, and the books that were available uh, to the inmates are often tattered, missing pages, and or there's a tablet thing that they actually have to have to pay to use for many things. It, it, it's just 
outrageous. What would you do for 23 of 24 hours sitting in a stark cell? Hmm. Well, reading would definitely be a comfort and a wonderful distraction. Also something that can feed your head, educate you. So I went berserk. County council person, Bethany Hallam went berserk and a few others did. Petitions were circulated. I And guys, we won. Boy, it didn't take too long. Uh, the Carnegie Library now is uh, is giving inmates um, pretty much total access to their uh, their books. Uh, also, the uh, something called Overdrive collection of eBooks will be available to inmates on their tablets later this month. And um, this is not happening immediately. This, these poor people are going to have to wait for a few weeks. But if they manage, they are going to um, have access to literally millions of, of books. So uh, that's, that made me feel good to see that. I also want to point out, speaking of jails, that people sitting in these godforsaken places awaiting trial because of the pandemic have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Somebody who may have been in jail for a few weeks, maybe a month, awaiting trial, is now sitting for eight months, nine months, serving time, not convicted. Because juries aren't sitting, courtrooms are not operating, the system is not operating as it normally does all over this country. So when you get a little down, think of all those people. As Tom Sokolowski would say, what, are you down to your last can of tuna fish? I hope you've treated yourself to that documentary on Facebook. Okay, so... I'm sorry, there's a there's a, a, a sigh. Because guys, you know, I, I I had the misfortune of reading the newspaper today. Um and uh, the world is a the world is a frightening and disappointing uh place. It, it, it just is astonishing to me how many uh, people are still cavalier about the pandemic. There was a piece in the uh, in the New York Times about nurses, uh, visiting nurses, nurses who 
for the last nine months have run into harm's way, traveling to run into harm's way. First, they went to New York City. And then after surviving that, they went off to the next hot spot. And there's a a profile of some of these, mostly women, and the impact on them. Now, why do they do it? They're putting themselves, obviously, at incredible risk. They are subjecting themselves to emotional and lasting trauma. One has said, it's hard. I don't sleep much. Even after I leave the hospital, the feelings stay. They go home to a hotel room if they're lucky, but if they're in a smaller and uh, a more rural area, they might be living in someone's basement. Why do they do it? Well, they do it because they get money. So putting their lives at risk for a much bigger paycheck than they would normally see. Could be more than $5,000 a week. And so they do it for their families. One of them said, I think this kind of work attracts a different kind of personality type. <laughs> Not all the same. Some people travel just because they like to travel, what, run into horror in different places. And other people do it for the money, because the money's good. One uh, is quoted as having spent quite a bit of time in my hometown of Green Bay, which, as you know, had a horrible surge and is still struggling, not as much. And she talked about tending to a, a patient who, while he is in such distress, I mean, in enough distress that he's hospitalized from COVID, says to her in the days before the election, I can't wait for this election to be over. So all this will go away. And she's looking at this guy and thinking, what the hell does he think? Well, he thinks it's a hoax perpetrated by Democrats. And so when Trump wins, it'll go away. Never mind that he's lying in a hospital in danger of losing his life. He thinks that if Trump wins, he'll be able to rip off the oxygen mask, pull out the ventilator, and go home. And I, 
it's this unbelievable to me uh, craziness. It's craziness that so many Americans, and not just Americans, people all over the world, have embraced. They've run to it like these nurses run into the into the hot spots. They run to craziness because it gives them a measure of what? Hope. Again, the capacity for human self-delusion scares me. Scares me. Because it means that I'm living in a world, in a country, with irrational people. Irrational people who have votes <laughs> and often great passion and are manipulated by evil people. And I know being somewhat aware of history where that kind of recipe can lead. So it's not Trump that scares me. It's the people who listen to him and believe him and who listen to Fox News and believe them, who listen to right-wing radio and believe them, who listen to these crazed, supposedly Christian fundamentalist ministers and believe them. I saw on Twitter a picture of a good-looking, tattooed, 33-year-old man. Turns out he's well-known in, uh, I guess, Eastern Europe because <clears throat> he's uh, got you know, millions of, uh, of followers on Instagram because he's a fitness guru. And this guy had told his millions of followers that COVID was a hoax. And they just needed to stay healthy, listen to him, follow his lead. You know where I'm going. He got COVID. He did at least do the right thing in that he sent a picture of himself in the hospital sucking on oxygen and told the people he had misled that he'd been wrong and that COVID is very real and very scary. And he was dead two days later. That's how you wonder. I told you this. Does anybody have anything happy? I'm not kidding. Jeez, God almighty, it's one one horror after another. Here's some other horrors I have for you. 
believe me, I wish I You know, at least from uh, today till Monday, I have, you know, like essentially four days to uh, ferret around for stuff. So I think I'm willing to bet my Thursday shows are the bleakest because I've, I've run out of, of uh, you know, anything potentially – potentially uh happy who knows anyway how goody a caller i am so appreciative go ahead hey lynn it's mike hi mike how's it going it's okay i know um (laughs) you were talking about the delusion of people it Mm -hmm. isn't really delusion it's denial and I saw it the last pandemic. I mean, I would literally be passing out condoms in the gay bars. They would come in and the guys would throw them in my face and accuse me yeah. of ruining their good time. Yeah. So this is nothing new that people can't face reality. Your denial mechanism in your psyche is there for a reason. It's there. So when you get more information, you can process that can affect your well-being. You shut down. And that's what's happening, and we're just watching it on a grand scale. Yeah, you know, I've read pieces that try to explain this, how our brains function, and sometimes they ill serve us. Um, Sometimes because they're essentially built to regulate our body. I mean, the brains aren't just there for, like, you know, pondering things and thinking. They're regulating every aspect of our physical cells, sending hormones this way, you know, doing this, that, the other thing, making sure systems are working. And a lot of it sort of comes down, yes, to that sort of basic instinct of survival. And when that kicks in, a whole lot of sort of higher faculties seem to shut down in a lot of people. And it's fight or flight stuff, and it doesn't have a lot to do with acceptance of unpleasantness. I guess for some people, their brains protect them from that unpleasantness. Is that what's going on? I guess that's what's going on. It's just too much for them to process. So instead of processing it, you know, they deny it. And we're also not dealing with the healthiest population mentally in in the world. We're not encouraged to think critically. We're not encouraged to um, see how my behavior affects the larger plan. No, we're, we've been, we've day. been, pro- no, it's not been think of what we've been uh, conditioned to be and how we live. We've been conditioned to be self-centered, to think that um, success has to do with acquisition of money and things. And success is about, yeah, buying stuff and it's all just this, we're, we're there to, yeah, spend money, have fun, be entertained, sit passively and be constantly entertained. It's, it, it, this is, yeah, we are, we are not up as a people to this. Nope. This is, there's a comedian that said, if, if there's anything you think Americans would be good at, it's staying home and doing nothing. The Americans <laughs> can't even do that. <laughs> right. 
On the other hand, my understanding is that Americans in many ways are some of the hardest working people on earth because we've had to be a lot of us. We get less vacation time than other people. We don't get, and you know, I'm talking about regular Americans. We have had to work hard, but we haven't been, it's our culture. And, and I'm, I do blame capitalism almost completely. It's our culture of turning us into consumers, um, consumers of entertainment, consumers of anything that supposedly is going to make us feel better or be more attractive or whatever. And that's just what we've become. There's been no effort to make us see that we're part of something larger than ourselves. So it's no wonder that people see that mask mandates and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I am special. We've been telling them, this government and everyone has been saying that we're special. It's the only thing that we achieve highest on in the world is our belief in our (laughs) exceptionalism. You know, we're 90th in math and we're 60th in reading ability, but we're number one in exceptionalism. Yeah. We think we're the be all and end all. The virus doesn't care. No, the virus has unmasked us. (laughs) No uh, pun intended. The virus has unmasked us and we will, after this is over, um, be an exceptional country again in that we will prove to have been the most incapable nation of dealing with this. And as a consequence, um, more and more and more and more Americans have died uh, than in, you know, we're going to win that. We're going to win that crown. That makes us hot, exceptional, pretty amazing. Huh? But I don't know. I don't know. Did you watch Tom Sokolowski's thing? I you have not. to watch. Please do. Why wouldn't you? Because okay. it's mo- mostly about the last pandemic, as you said. Yeah. When you mentioned that yesterday, I was like, hmm, I didn't know him during that time. I wonder why. Well, because he wasn't here. He was in New oh, York. Was in New York. Okay. But it was he who created visual aids. It is he who did. He got three, four other people together in his apartment, and they're the ones who took it on, took it to the art world, took it to day without art and this and that. And he was, I mean, when the history is written, he will deserve quite a bit of credit uh, for bringing AIDS uh, out of the closet and and um, into uh, the public's consciousness. You got to you got to watch it. It's pretty amazing. I will. Thank you. OK, you. Hey, sorry, I didn't cheer you up. What? No, it's it's OK. I mean, I'm OK. <laughs> I, I I'm OK. There's you know, We'd be delusional to be right. what yeah. happy go lucky right now. I really but, happy yesterday, the day before. 
And it's just because so much news is coming nonstop. This many people die, this many, you know, whatever. And I had to stop for a whole day because it was, I don't know, I just felt defeated. Like, I can't keep myself safe. There's no way to keep myself safe, you know? Yeah. And the truth is, there really isn't. All I can do is reduce my risk of contracting the virus. You can and be a smart, to, yeah, be smart. And I want to go to an island somewhere and not have to deal with jagoffs who mm-hmm. block lines in grocery stores. <clears throat> like any Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Well, I pretty much don't go out of my house anymore. Um, it's too bad. I'm locked up again having things delivered, um, you know, I, it's awful. And, you know, you get lonely. Um, I have a nephew, my sister's, my sister's son, who calls every once in a while, FaceTimes me, um, right after his family has had their dinner. And he has a six-year-old and a, and a two-year-old. And pretty much all I do is watch them. You know, the can- he holds the phone so that I see them playing and they come toward toward me every once in a while and say, look, I made this and this and that and that. And I watch the two-year-old tuck her, her little stuffed animals into bed, which she does every night very busily. And, you know, he just told, I, I don't, we don't have to talk the whole time. It gives me such pleasure. So I, I wish for everybody had some little kids in there somewhere in their purview that someone would do that for them because children are joyous, especially when you don't have to really deal with them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just and their curiosity and their joy and their energy and their, you know, and their, their, sweet little high voices and their the locutions of their communication and they're just I just uh oh God, it's balm for the soul. So anyway. And this isn't forever. Here's some hope. This is not forever. Exactly. Just exactly. Today or just for the next year. <laughs> not forever. No. No. There'll be other challenges to to deal with. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm looking at a headline right now. Hotter planet already poses fatal threat. Report finds. You know, we are the big something that'll make this look like a picnic is looming right. Oh, I mean, it's here. We're just again refusing to deal with it. Well, for anybody wanting to come to Seven Springs, there's about three feet of snow up here. Oh, is that where you are? You're in Seven Springs. Oh, I bet. Nice. They've been getting it for the past Sunday. It's nice, except when I have to walk the dog. It's nice, except when I have to shovel it to get out of the garage. It's nice, but. Well, yeah, that's good exercise. (laughs) Seriously. And, uh, well, when are you out of Washington for good? What's going to happen to you? Yeah, I saw my house. Um, and I'm homeless during the pandemic. I think that's what was bothering me yesterday. And now I'll be here through the holidays and then I'm going to St. Petersburg for five months. Not, <clears throat> okay, thank you. Not Russia. 
No. <laughs> <laughs> Florida. <laughs> uh, I'm not getting on a plane. Okay. All right. Just trying to keep track. Thank you. Be well. Okay. Bye-bye. Oh, guys, I heard from David. Um, I was worried about him. Um, And he let me know he's he's alive and well. He would call, he says, but I don't have anything to talk about. But he might call next Monday. So thank I'm just appreciative. You know, I care about you. Um, oh, let's see. Okay. So I, oh, here's some sort of good news. The United Nations has said that pot, cannabis, marijuana is not a dangerous drug. (laughs) No, it's not a dangerous drug. Will somebody tell the federal government of this damn country? United Nation has removed cannabis from its list of dangerous drugs because it acknowledges it never killed anybody. No one ever overdosed on it. Nobody ever like got combative and wanted to, you know, like uh, cause mayhem on it. Jesus, God. They even admitted it was beneficial. Whoa, yeah beneficial and because you live in a country of propagandized closed-minded I don't know I'm so sorry Um, people like me who do use marijuana and have my entire life um, have been leading a criminal existence all my life. And uh, the only thing that has protected me is I'm not a black person. Right? And the older I got, old white lady, you think they wrestle an old white lady to the ground if she's smoking a joint? I don't think so. You know I famously was caught with pot heading at the convention center uh, going to a Hillary Clinton rally in 2016. Secret Service surrounded me. Pittsburgh police surrounded me. And um, was I scared? No. I was sort of amazed that I wasn't. (laughs) I had all my life wondered if I'd ever get caught. And here I was caught in a very public place, a lot of people watching, <clears throat> caught in the security. Um, and I not only wasn't fearful, I was sort of bemused. And uh, the Secret Service guys were like really um, scowling at me. And um, one of the cops said, what were you thinking? And I said, well, I, I wasn't thinking. It's in my purse because it's in my purse. I just, you know, it's always in my purse. <laughs> I forgot. It's like people who get, 
I guess people who carry guns around and get stuck at the, the TSA at the airport. Why would you bring a gun to the to airport, to the TSA? Uh, oh, I forgot. See, I mean, just different mindsets. I understand my I forgot, but I have to admit, I can't imagine forgetting I had a gun on my person. But um, anyway, I I just I said to him, well, keep it as if they wouldn't. And uh, did they arrest me? Did they give me a summons? No, they took my pot and waved me into the convention center. White lady with pot. Oh, God, I'm so sick of it. Okay, what else we got here? I, of course, would not subject myself to um, this 45-minute video that uh, the president of the United States (laughs) apparently uh, put out on Facebook and a lesser version, an edited version on Twitter. Sitting there in the White House with the presidential seal and the flags behind him and ranting and raving. This is our president. And apparently some of the quotes from it are, he told anybody listening, this may be the most important speech I've ever made. And then of course he just went on to go through his total list of grievances and his dark warnings I got a few more of these things. Unbelievable. Um, Talking about corrupt forces that had stuffed ballot boxes with fraudulent votes. Never mind. His own lapdog attorney general has come out and said, there is no evidence whatsoever of any fraud. Does that stop? this lunatic in chief we have? No, he in this video says the fraud was massive on a scale never seen before. He called on the Supreme Court, his Supreme Court, do what's right for our country, which of course is overturning the election. And he says if the Supreme Court does what they're supposed to do, because he put them there, that I very easily win in all states. All states. It's unanimous. 50 states of the union voted for him, he says. Here's some other quotes I found. This election was rigged. Everybody knows it. Our country needs somebody to say, you're right. If we don't root out the fraud, the tremendous and horrible fraud that's taking place, 
we don't have a country anymore. Now, as I say these things and know that they are delusional, I mean, they're not delusional. They are, well, I don't know, because we really, um, I don't know where I went out. I was uh, squawking about uh, the Trump and his despicable uh, video. And um, and the thing is that most upset me, I guess, when I I read the account, is that they said that when he released this two-minute ed- edited video, I guess the greatest hits of this 45-minute uh, uh, diatribe, um, Twitter, you know, put it, it's on his Twitter account and goes off to all his Twitter followers. And the company, the Twitter company labels it as disputed. And yet includes a link to the full 46, I guess, minute video on, on Facebook. So how is how is that helpful? That Twitter says that what Trump is saying in this rant is disputed. That is not a strong enough word. It's a pack of lies. It is not disputed. And I don't understand why. Twitter thinks that is helpful to say it is disputed if you're a Trumpian only adds to your sense of, yes, grievance. It's not disputed. And then to link to the Facebook page and then and then on Facebook, what do they say? Facebook puts this 46 minute pack of lies undermining our democracy on its platform and includes apparently a label that doesn't say it's disputed. It says that voting by mail has long been trustworthy and that voter fraud is extremely rare. Well, that is also not enough the reality is, is these damn social media giants need to step up or they are part and parcel without a doubt of the dissolution of America's democracy. Unbelievable. Okay, sorry, we got uh, we got uh, knocked off there for a while. Um, for those of you who are still there, I appreciate it. I thought it was over. I I got up and started tidying up my house, <laughs> and I stopped back, and it turns out that uh, my uh, 
my producer uh, was actually still trying to get us uh, online. <laughs> so, Amy, I was ready to throw in the towel. Oh, all right, but we're back. I'm back. And uh, we'll try to fill out uh, the hour for you. I even have a caller. My God. Hello. <laughs> hi, Lynn. Hey, hi. How you doing? Is your dog in the house? No, my dog is out with his walker. I thought maybe you could play a couple of keys. We could hear him sing. Oh, I'm sorry. He would be so happy to do it. But, um, you know, that's a problem. I have trouble playing my piano now. Because oh, come he, on now. Because he sings and I start laughing. And I, because it's so, he really tries to follow the, if I, you know, he holds a note I hold and then he goes into another. And I, I just, um, I can't play. <laughs> So I don't. I, he's kept me from playing. Damn it! I'm blaming him. Anyway, yes, he loves to I, loves to sing. I got I got two things for you, Lynn. Okay. One, I learned an I learned a new word yesterday. Yeah. It's re Trump instead of Republicans, re Trumplicans. Re Trumplicans. Okay. Isn't that yeah. right? Yeah. Well. So they are. Yeah. Yeah, he's taken over their party. They've ceded it to him. Um, it's a horrible party, an anti-democratic, authoritarian, I would suggest neo-fascist party. Yeah, scary stuff. Okay, you were talking about getting uh, surrounded by the Secret Service for having pot. Yeah. All right, I got a pot story for you. Oh, good. I flew... I flew into uh, National, before it was Reagan, National okay. Airport. Uh -huh. I flew into National Airport. I had a pound of uh, reefer in my suitcase. Jeez, you had so, a pound? It was for me. You know what I mean? God, a for pound? Big... I've never had a pound. I do ounces. Yeah. What? A pound? Woo. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm... well anyway. So I'm at this air. I'm at this airport, right? Jeez. We were we're the last flight that came into Nashville. There was nobody there. I mean, nobody, no ticket counters, nothing. So we're standing around the thing where the bags come up, and there was a bunch of cops there. Oh so God! I, this cop, you know, starts talking to me, you know, blah 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 blah, and. This other guy says, okay, everybody line up behind this guy because we got this special package coming in. I'm like, uh. okay. So how often does this happen, Lynn? Never. Here comes my here comes my bag. The first bag first that off. comes up. Yeah, sure. Never. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, what's going on here? So I'm thinking, as soon as I grab this bag, I'm going to be... Now, this is the early 70s. I probably would have been in jail for 20 years. <laughs> here comes my here comes my bag. I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I grab the bag. I'm just waiting to be arrested. And 
national airport, they you know, they got glass doors where you could see the reflection behind mm-hmm. you. Yeah. So I'm walking to the door. I'm thinking, oh, here's going to happen. But it didn't happen. I got yeah. out. It was like my girlfriend was waiting outside. I said, move it. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> did... Yeah. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. Right. Oh, dear. That was a close one, honey. Yeah, no, a pound would get you uh, definitely arrested. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, no. Yeah, intent to deal. I mean, that's not personal usage stuff. And in the right, of course. Jeez. Okay. You still working on that pound? (laughs) Long gone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Take care, Lynn. You Bye-bye. too. Bye. <laughs> oh, God. For those of you who are appalled by all this open uh, talk of uh, marijuana usage, geez, guys, get over it. It is a benign and wonderful uh, escape drug. And uh, who doesn't need escape? Hey, I did find one other, I thought, pretty funny thing that um, uh, Jimmy Fallon said last night in regard to this despicable guy in the White House. He said this, it's pretty crazy, you know, the last person who needed pardons for their whole family was Charles Manson. (laughs) Okay. Um, also, here's another little thing. Uh, oh, God. No, that's not really fair. Um, so it turns out, you know, this – I talked yesterday about that uh, – this guy from Georgia, the Republican, who shamed Trump, said, Mr. President, stop this. People are going to get killed. And Trump's response was to release a video trying to get more people killed. And um, the scary thing is, you know, this this thing about them. Uh, one of the one of his lies is he talks about this voting machine company, Dominion, which he suggests has um, somehow, you know, made if you voted for Trump, the Dominion system turned it to Biden. And um, this is, of course, a lie, a total lie. And someone actually did the work um, and looked at counties, um, often rural counties that use the Dominion system, the Dominion uh, software. And what they found was that Trump won those counties. I know in Pennsylvania he did. Somebody bothered in Pennsylvania to do it. He won where the Dominion machines were. But of course, a little fact like that would not stop him or his coterie of just pathological liars intent on the destruction of our democracy. I don't know how else to put it. So 
imagine you're a guy named Eric Coomer, who happens to be the director of security for Dominion Voting Systems. Well, you wouldn't want to be because he is in hiding for his life. He is in hiding. The Trumpian chat rooms posted his photo, details about his family, his address, their addresses, and his first death threats just started coming in fast and furious. Um, but then targeted phone calls uh, and text messages, a handwritten letter to his father, uh, an army veteran from a militia group, which said this to his father, how does it feel to have a traitor for a son? Um, he, even though he has fled, he continues to get messages from people saying they know where he is and they're coming for him. And this guy, the head of security for a private company, is quoted as saying this, it's terrifying. I've worked in international elections in all sorts of post-conflict countries where election violence is very real and people end up getting killed. And I feel that we, America, is on the verge of that. Well, I can imagine he does. This is what the President of the United States is fomenting. Extraordinary. I believe I have a caller. Go ahead. Hey, Lynn. Grr, that's all I can say about yeah. this latest conversation. But I wanted to say, decades-long listener, rarely do I catch you at the hour. Right. Uh huh. And I happened to be busy with my hands. I didn't even realize that you went off air. I started laughing when you came back. On. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> I God. Was like I didn't even know that happened. Da, da, da. So I've been continuing listening and and just to say I was so worried about you when you were away. I am so happy you're back. That you're yeah. healthy. You sound wonderful. Thank and so you. I thought I'd just end your show just saying like welcome back and we missed you. Oh, you're a sweetie. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Okay, bye. I must say about, you know, my my surgery, I really am able to do so. I, I'm just amazed at, uh, but I, my strength is not what it was. And I have to build up my legs and my back because I can't, I really can't walk all that far without. So I'm supposed to be out walking every day. I'm up to six blocks, six and a half blocks. But I was huffing and puffing on the way on the way back, um, and I'm not able to walk the dog yet, just because he's a a little bit of a handful sometimes on a leash, and I can't I can't risk that. Um, so thank God for my friends. I know Sally Wiggins coming by this afternoon. Um, my son, who's just done yeoman's work. Uh, even though he's got a, a very full and sort of scary life because he's out in his job all the time. And, you know, just God bless them all, all my 
all my buddies who've uh, fed me and and kept my dog happy. <laughs> and I'm a very, uh, very lucky person uh, living uh, on my own. I really am. Uh, there was a piece in the, you know, this, this Georgia election, dear God in heaven, I I can't dare to dream that the Democrats could take both those uh, seats. And yet the two people who hold them are so horrible. They're crooks. They're grifters too. They're extraordinarily rich people who have used their position as United States senators to further aggrandize their power and their pocketbooks. And the New York Times today has a very long article on one, Senator Perdue, who apparently has been trading more stocks since he got into the Senate than any other senator Ever. In fact, if you add up the next biggest stock trading senators, take the next five senators who trading stocks left and right, add up all their stock trades, you still don't have as many stock trades as Purdue has done. Sometimes as many as 20 in a single day. The Justice Department has looked into him more than once. Turns out he sits on committees in which he hears things, right? And then he turns around and strangely starts, yeah, making stock trades. And of course, the Senate being the Senate protects itself uh, in large part. So that you have to, it's not easy to prove that it's insider trading. But as a member of the Senate Banking uh, Committee, he all of a sudden sold shares in a bunch of banks right when uh, it made a real lot of sense to do that. And it's not just those, it's others. He knew, because he was in on coronavirus briefings, he knew in March that Pfizer was, uh, no, in February, he already knew that, uh, that Pfizer was going to be hard at work on a vaccine. And the very day he was in that meeting, he bought a quarter of a million dollars worth of Pfizer stock. And there's all these other what are considered well-timed sales of stock and then buying of stock. If you want the full story again it's new york times today 
the title Purdue engaged in 2,596 trades in a single term. It puts him so far out ahead of, as I said, even the next five most uh, slap-happy Wall Street trading senators. And I know I said yesterday that that uh, Paycheck Protection Program money that had uh, supposedly gone to small businesses in this country, that uh, literally half of all that taxpayer money went straight to just 5% of those who asked for it, those 5% being big, big, they were not, they are not small businesses. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, and they got up to $10 million a piece when little people and little, uh, you know, mom and pop businesses were asking for things like $50,000. Uh, further looking at the data, the New York Times says today that detailed uh, information that was finally forced uh, by the courts that the Small Business Administration, which is the ones that oversaw <laughs> oversaw this, uh, again, this giveaway to the rich, um, showed that literally 1% of the borrowers, I already said that 5% got half of it, but even looking a little closer, 1%, got 25% of all the money, our taxpayer dollars, again. And some of them big, big law firms. Uh, It's just, you know, you read it and you just want to scream. You want to scream. Uh... Okay, well, I think that's um, it. Uh, Sorry about us falling away there for a while. I actually was sitting down and was going to start paying some bills. And then Amy Amy texted me and said, are you able to get back on? I thought, oh, you mean she's still trying to get us on? I, I want you to know I wouldn't have been back if not for our intrepid producer. Amy, Amy, thank you. Okay, guys, um, uh, stay safe, stay safe, stay safe. Let's get through this damn winter and come out the other side. Okay, be well. I'll talk to you again on Monday. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live. Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.